Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Randy Brazy and Jeffrey Vanderpaul, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you for having us, Jonathan. It is a pleasure to be with you. It is so wonderful to have this opportunity to talk with you about your recent book, The Steadfast Leader, and to really pour into this idea of steadfast leadership. I'm thrilled to have this chance. As we get started, I wanted to share a little bit of both of your backgrounds with everyone who's joining us. Dr. Randy Brazy is the former chief medical officer of Resilient Health, an Arizona nonprofit healthcare provider of innovative multimodal services for both public and private sectors. Uh, he currently serves as medical director for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. Dr. Jeffrey Vanderpaul uh, is project management professional, Society for Human Resource Management senior certified professional, and is professor in the Master of Science and Finance program at Purdue University Global, where he teaches financial planning related courses. And he's taught at a variety, um, a variety of different universities on four continents in the areas of finance, leadership, and business. I could say way more about both of you and your backgrounds, but I'm going to pause there. Anything else you would like to highlight about your own backgrounds or personal context before we dive on into the broader conversation? No, I mean, other than uh, my role at Blue Cross, I do do some private practice in addition to helping with assisting for teaching um, with Somatic Experiencing International, which is an organization that treats, uh, teaches trauma-based therapies around the world for um, psychotherapists and other healthcare professionals. Awesome. And Jeffrey, anything you want to add? I would just add, I, I was in the industry for 20 years. I'm also a certified financial planner and, and owned a financial uh, management company for a number of years. Wonderful. Great diverse backgrounds, which actually brings up the question, how did the two of you get connected uh, and how did you start working together both on this book and in other ways? I'll let Jeffrey lead with that. <laughs> well, Ray and I have been friends for years. And one night we were having dinner a few years ago and I started asking questions about uh, psychology and psychiatry. And he was telling me a little about somatic experience and what he was doing with with that work for trauma and dealing with stress and, and post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I was just very fascinated by it. I find psychology very interesting. And so as we dug down the rabbit hole a little bit deeper into conversation, he was telling me more about what is somatic experiencing and some of the projects that he's working on from his end. I said, you know, this would really make a lot of sense in the leadership and business decision-making realm. And that's really how all this got started. And we started that whole conversation and then, you know, went from a back of a napkin to starting our first book, <laughs> going from there. So it kind of, it built out quite a bit over the last couple of years. Awesome. Anything you wanted to add to that, Randy? No, I, I think Jeffrey pretty much uh, summed it up very nicely. And this is something that we've just had an ongoing interest 
Um, this led to us actually having dialogue with um, Stephen Porges, who is the neuroscientist and the founder of polyvagal theory, which is a real core foundation to the book that we wrote, um, and with their support through him and the Polyvagal Institute, which is the nonprofit profit that he co-created with Deb Dana, who is a very famous therapist in the mental health world. Um, she's the one that actually translated his theory into clinical practice for mental health practitioners. Um, and so they've been very enthusiastic as well about supporting our mission to bring this out to the wider community in the business world. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And before we get into polyvagal theory, um, maybe just a little bit more, if you could tell us the background to why this book, why now? Like why why the steadfast leader? Um, why is this something you feel is important today? Did you want to lead off with that, Jeffrey, as the business person? Sure. Well, when you look at turnover in the workplace today and the amount of stress, I mean, the surveys show that the workplace has become uh, an area of of sometimes contention, certainly um, dissatisfaction for a lot of people. uh, And that's relevant in terms of uh, efficiency and uh, effectiveness in the workplace. We've seen decreases there, high turnover, which is very costly to employers. So you, you look at all this data. And it starts showing that there's obviously some issues and finding ways in which both employees and employers can work better together to create more efficiency, reduce turnover, um, create a better workplace and have better outcomes or output is better for everyone involved. So that's really what kind of drove this whole initial conversation and digging deeper into this to see what can we take from uh, psychology and apply it into leadership and better business decision-making. There's a lot of neuroscience out there, but Mm -hmm. it hasn't really been applied very well, I think, to the leadership and business decision-making areas, Uh, certainly at the the degree level. I've noticed I teach business and leadership-related courses over the years. A lot of that's not integrated as well as I think it could be. It focuses a little more on the cognitive psychology areas, but not kind of the underbelly of what's really affecting uh, the cognitive psychology, it's ultimately affecting the leadership models. Yeah, we'll love it. Yeah, so let's dive on into polyvagal theory. Um, my guess is that's not something that a lot of the audience has heard about before. Um, so maybe give us a quick overview of this concept as it relates to business and leadership and, and in the simplest terms, kind of explain it and maybe provide some examples. Sure. So I can start off with describing a little bit about polyvagal theory. Um, Like you said, sort of in simplest terms, the word polyvagal simply means the vagus nerve, and it has two branches from which it originates in the brainstem, thus poly. Um, And what Stephen Porges found in his research, he initially was doing research on fetuses and newborns, looking at heart rate variability. So your students may have heard about HRV as a way to test your fitness or your resilience especially if you're going to the gym or jogging or running a marathon. What we found is is that the vagus nerve was really heavily involved in um, mediating our response to stress, danger, and threat to such a profound way that it really innately um, was probably also heavily involved in things like anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other kind of related stress and anxiety syndromes. Well, if you think about it, of course, working in the real world is stressful for everybody. Um, And so having an understanding of how the brain responds, um, one, under stress, or two, if you're working with teams, working around other human beings, 
How do you navigate working remotely or in a hybrid position? These are the things that organizational psychology, as, as Jeffrey mentioned, has done an excellent job of talking about the cognitive portion up here, what we call the wrinkly bits, your thinking brain. But there really hadn't been as much attention historically paid to how do we work with the more primitive, deeper structures in the brain, what you might have heard called the reptilian brain or your animal brain. And those actually play a much more profound role than we realized um, in driving how we interact with each other, um, how we respond to each other, and also how you might respond to those snacks in your fridge when you're working from home. <laughs> uh, the bane of my existence, the snacks <laughs> in the fridge, <laughs> or in my case, the snacks in my mini fridge in my office at work as well. <laughs> Very good. Anything you want to add to that, Jeff? Well, I would just add, I, we affectionately call Dr. Brazy the uh, brain whisperer for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said it very eloquently. Okay, very good. So th this idea of, I, I love getting into neuroscience and I love the cognitive sciences um, of of how the brain works. Um, you, you've described this in simple terms. And again, I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that. I, I don't understand all the details, um, but... I find it fascinating. And the reality is, uh, if we want to better um, connect with those around us, we need to understand ourselves first, and then tr strive to understand others. That's kind of the basis of empathy, and and our ability to, um, to, to lead empathet empathetically. And this this idea of polyvagal theory and just it's it's another layer of under of self understanding I think and understanding how other people work and in that that uh, reptile brain as you mentioned it like just really understanding the 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 uh, evolutionary psychology behind how our brain works and why it works the way it does and how we process things and why we interact with others the way we do super super important uh, in I think any sort of leadership approach as we're trying to define our own style and our own approach to to working with those around us. Um, another concept in the book that you talk about is instinctive leadership. What do you mean by instinctive leadership and how does that differ from other types of leadership theories that are out there? Jeffrey? Well, you know, we, leading by the gut is sometimes what we refer to it generically, but um, that feeling you get in certain situations and sometimes you, you, you truly trust that feeling once you develop that, 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 uh, that intuition, those feelings further uh, with practice and time. But uh, listening to yourself, understanding yourself, being self-aware is all part of that process. And I think in, from a leadership perspective, we don't really talk about self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Most leadership models, we're not very self-aware. And I think that's a big component that's missing when we look yes. at leadership, managing people. And that's an area we focus on very heavily in the Steadfast Leader book. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I, I think the, the fact that so many leadership theories are missing that um, self-awareness piece is, is a huge limitation. Um, we can't understand others until we understand ourselves first. And, exactly. and it's a reciprocal process. Like the more we understand about ourselves, the more we can understand others, the more we understand about others, the more we can understand about ourselves. And uh, so that's definitely something we want to, to be able to build out. And I like how you, on the one hand, you have the polyvagal theory. That's like the hardwired brain, like the reptilian brain elements, right? We don't have a lot of control over that other than to better understand what's happening so that if if we can understand what's happening at that point, we can make a choice to step back and like decide how we're going to respond to things, even if 
our instinctual kind of uh, approach might be a little bit different than what ultimately we we would say we wanted or or whatever given the mo- our modern sensibilities um having that that gut approach uh, as you mentioned jeff is is also an important part of leadership it's one that gets talked about a lot um and i think combining the that the kind of the gut from the gut kind of emotional approach to more of a hardwired like understanding of how we work in the analytical brain I, I think those two together can can if, if we better understand ourselves and how those interact with each other and how we interact how the, those lead to how we interact with others I think it just it enables us to not only you know through self-awareness better understand what's happening but uh to you know, to, to marry the best of both worlds and, and the heart and the mind get connected. Right. And now we can lead with both empathy and compassion while also leading with, you know, cognitive, um, stability and like, uh, analytical thinking and critical thinking skills that are going to be necessary for us to make sense of complex situations. Yeah. There's actually a, a relationship between different, for example, IQ, intelligence quotient, mm-hmm. EQ, emotional quotient, SQ, social quotient. And there's a direct relation between those three. And it's really, it's a uh, didactic kind of relationship between all three of those uh, back and forth. And that's really what we wanted to focus on primarily with this book as well, is, is that relationship and how to use utilize that in a very efficient way to make better business decisions and to lead people in a better way. Uh, but self-awareness is really the starting point of all this. Yeah, yeah excellent. And, and Jonathan, one thing I would add on to that is that, you know, as you were talking about when it comes to making decisions, um, when the brain gets triggered into a state of fight or flight, or whether we think the brain thinks that there's some danger, um, it literally disconnects the thinking brain. And so mm-hmm. there's a pathway between your thinking brain and your instinctive brain, your animal brain. Um, called the insular cortex or the insula cortex for anybody who's interested. And when that gets disconnected, you can look to someone else like you're walking, talking, thinking normally, but with that disconnect, really nothing's coming in. There is a, there is that disconnect in you making decisions. And so one of the core principles is if you know yourself, you can downregulate yourself out of that <gasps> state of fight mm-hmm. or flight Mm-hmm. So that you can actually make more rational decisions and also really take in what's going on around you and, and really be able to work with it. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So so we have this idea of polyvagal theory that we've explored a little bit, instinctive leadership um, that we've explored a little bit. How do these then come together to create what you call the steadfast leader? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, really along the lines of what uh, Jeffrey and you were talking about is that the first step is to know thyself. So we covered that already, right? And this is something we do when we do um, therapy for people with PTSD or other trauma or anxiety related issues is that you have to know where you're at as far as how your system's responding, but then you also need to know the skills on how to get yourself to where you want to be. So if you're panicking or you're edgy or you're irritable, what can you do on a practical level um, so that you can get yourself into the best state to make decisions? So really a steadfast leader is somebody that they're going to experience stress, right? This is part of life. And we're not in the book saying that somebody is just going to kind of like float on a cloud and be Mm. free of all trauma. That's, that's not a realistic, you know, approach. You can't run or work in a large company or a small one if you're just floating in the ethers. But 
how can you really have that built resilience, the increased capacity in the nervous system so that you can get yourself to where you want to be so that you make your best decision for you and for your team going forward? No, those are all very important points. And, and like I said, this is something that I'd like to see actually brought into uh, academic areas as well, as well as the professional areas, because I think this information is so important. It's a missing piece of the puzzle for more effective leadership and better bu business decision making. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and just overall, I love the title, The Steadfast Leader. I like the imagery in my mind that that evokes, um, kind of some of the characteristics uh, and the qualities, I think, that I come to mind of steadfast leadership. Uh, maybe you can speak to that from your perspective. Like, what what are you really thinking about when you think about the steadfast leader? I, think, oh, I, I just think of a steady hand, so to speak, a steady mm -hmm. hand leadership. And and when stressors and anxiety and issues come into play, being able to handle that in a mature, steady way, a healthy way, um, to make better decisions and not shut down, basically. And can, can I key in on the word mature? <laughs> because that, that's I, I often I often you know I, I'll I'll talk with my wife where you know she's a professor as well, so um, she teaches you know stats and in calculus and these types of things. I'm on the leadership and HR and uh, OB side, and and so you know we kind of have different approaches to how we look at a lot of things. And and but we when it comes to education, we come, often come home at night and we, we talk about stuff. And I often will say can't we just all be mature adults in how we approach how we approach the most challenging issues that face our organizations and our society uh i wish we could just be more mature and really what i mean by that is uh kind of what you just said jeff i i think so often because of the stressors because of the anxiety we become so reactionary and it it, it really is kind of an immature thing to just respond immediately to whatever emotion you might be feeling. That's not to negate emotion. Like emotions are important. They're important signals to us. But just like a child has to learn how to regulate their emotions and how they interact with other people, you know, I would hope by the time we're all adults that we've learned how to do that. But it's evident to me that many have not learned how to do that because you, you have all these crazy decisions that are made. And you're just like, I, on the one hand, I get it. I get why a leader may have made that decision, um, but it really is more of a fight or flight kind of response, not something that really is taking into account the complexities and the nuances and, and all the different things that I, I wish they would be taking into account. So for me, that that idea of maturity, can we just be more mature? Really, that just means let's be, like your book says, let's be steadfast. Let's understand what's happening in our heads. Let's understand how that's informing our emotions. And, and then choose how we're going to respond rather than being, you know, reactive to our environment. Right. And that's what uh, Stephen Port just calls the social engagement system, um, which is mm -hmm. dominated by the ventral vagus. So ventral means more towards your nose, dorsal is more towards the back of your head. And that is the system that is supposed to be developing and growing as you go through childhood and adolescence. And when it comes online, it actually... Um, has a lot of modifying behavior for our eye contact with each other, tone of voice, um, facial expressions. Um, so one would hope that that system developed normally. Um, obviously, kids who are raised in very adverse um, kind of situations, there may be some disruptions in that. Um, but it can get disrupted anyway, even if it's a normal system. 
if you have enough stress and you don't do anything about it, don't do anything with it. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So let's now pivot in in some of our remaining time, talk about the practical organizational applications of this. So if we have someone who understands polyvagal theory and instinctive leadership, and we have someone who's you know, striving and working towards becoming this, what we are calling the steadfast leader, you know, I think that can have dramatic implications for how we run our teams, how productive we are, how we attract and retain good people, how we establish, you know, healthy organizational cultures, et cetera. Um, and, and Jeffrey, you kind of talked to this a little bit at the introduction, but let's dive into that deeper. Like what are some of the practical things that can really come from this kind of a steadfast leadership approach um, that you're advocating for in your book? Sure. And understanding uh, when you're dealing with people, understanding their their emotional situation at that moment in time and how to deal with that emotional situation is really important. So here, here's just an everyday example. So you maybe you work in a sales or customer service environment and you have an agitated customer come in, right? They come in and they're all kind of angry and and, uh, you know, they're raising their voice a little bit and they're kind of gruff and, you know, so how you respond to that and how you bring that person down is important. You know, saying to someone, hey, you need to calm down. No, we know that doesn't work very well, right? <laughs> it ends up making people more angry, actually. Probably not a good thing to do when you're in that circumstance when you're trying to bring someone down um, to a state where they're more calm and relaxed. And so there's techniques that we talk about in the book and how to approach. And there's some case studies that we weave through the book as well and talk about this in different scenarios and how you're dealing with certain circumstances, how to deal with it in a healthy way. So, you know, if you're dealing with an angry customer in that example, how do you bring them down to a point where they're more calm, they're more receptive to hear what you're saying? Because when someone's really angry and they're really activated uh, they're in the wrong state of mind to listen to you, right? No matter what you say, generally they're just they're angry and they're, you know, they're on their path and they're not really listening to you. But how do you get to a point not only to calm down and calm their nervous system down, but to have them actually listen to you and respond? And uh, I mean, Randy can talk more about that, but in that regard, but that's what we're trying to facilitate with this material in the book and some of the research we've published beyond the book as well in some of the journals is how do you deal with some of these circumstances and connect the dots with this to help people better manage their their circumstances? Yeah, and it, it certainly also ties into, you know, as we talk about in some of our chapters, leadership and management, you know, uh, you mentioned your background in that, Jonathan. Um, how do you work with a team? How do you get, because teams will sometimes squabble or get into it or work well together. Um, and how do you sort of have the most effective role as a leader or as a manager um, we even talk on the HR side, you know, how do you maybe potentially improve recruiting, getting the right candidates in? How do you screen them uh, using some of these principles? Is that possible? You know, so the idea is, is, of course, we're not trying to teach people sneakily to become junior psychotherapists. That's not, not the <laughs> point at all. Um, but it's really what are the skills on the fly? And the nice thing is, is when you're working with the primitive instinctive brain, it's very nonverbal. It doesn't understand language. And that's a key point for people to take away. You can't think your way in or out, um, but you can use your thinking brain to then try to help regulate, modify, um, improve the state that you're in so that you can then sort of reflect that back to the other person. Because I guarantee you, it's, it's a process and we define it in the book called neuroception, which is simply the nervous system's perception. 
And it simply states that if you are like really all agitated, but you're kind of masking it, their system knows you're agitated. It's, you're not fooling mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people will kind of riff off of each other, bounce off of each other. Um, and these are things that really, no matter what your role is, um, like Jeffrey said, you're dealing with the agitated customer, or maybe you're working within your own team. These are principles that you can actually apply on a practical level, um, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, excellent. All right. Well, Randy and Jeffrey, I note the time. I do want to provide some time for some Q&A. Um, so we'll start to wrap up this portion. Um, but I do want to give you a chance to just share with anyone who's joining us, anyone who's listening or watching this later, uh, where they can find your book, where they can find out more about your work. Uh, and then if you have any final word on kind of the, this topic of steadfast leadership, and then we'll move into Q&A. Our, our website for a book is steadfastleader.com. It's also available at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon other books. In addition, our website for our firm is neuroconsultinggroup.com. Excellent. And any final kind of thoughts along this idea of steadfast leadership before we go into Q&A? I, I would just add that I, I think this is, I'm not saying this is hyperbole, but it is a bit of a groundbreaking book. There's no other leadership book that addresses using polyvagal theory, neuroception, some of the other concepts that we bring in from uh, psychology into the business world. This is the first of its kind. That's why McGraw-Hill decided to publish this book, because it is quite unique in that regard. It's not like other leadership books that, you know, to a certain degree, a lot of them just kind of mimic each other or kind of rehash very very much the same information over time. This is something that's actually quite different. So we do we do encourage people to read the book. It's it's quite unique in that regard, and I think it can be very helpful for people. Excellent, excellent. All right, with that, I want to open it up to uh, any Q and A. Um, I have some um, live guests who are joining us. Uh, feel free to throw a question in the chat, or if uh, or if you want to unmute yourself and ask a question, either would be just fine. And while I'm giving folks a moment to do that. Um, one, one other thing I was thinking about as we were talking, you know, there, there are a lot of leadership books out there, as you mentioned, uh, I've written some of them myself and, and I fully acknowledge, like, I try to have my own spin. I try to have my own kind of unique lens and take on, on leadership, hopefully in a way that's going to be helpful for people and resonate with people. But I will fully admit, like, largely, you have a lot of the same kind of concepts and principles that get rehashed over and over and over again. Um, And so having a truly fresh look at um, the leadership practice and how we can become more better, uh, more effective in our leadership approach, I think is is powerful um, for no other reason than you know, cer- certainly the, the research behind what you do uh, is, is super important. But if for no other reason than just to have like new perspectives and ways to push our thinking and to open the aperture of our understanding, I think is really, really vital um, so that we don't become complacent and that we don't just assume that kind of we have it all figured out. You know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say something like, you know, that nothing, there's been nothing new in leadership for the last 50 years. Like everything that's been said that needs to be said is Everything that needs to be said has been said, and it's just a matter of putting it into practice. And on a certain level, 
there's some truth to that, right? Like leadership isn't rocket science, it, but it is hard. And it's hard because people don't do, you know, fairly basic, simple things consistently over time that they need to do in order to be effective. Um, but I do want us to continue to push the envelope of leadership theory and practice to continue uh, in the, in the field of research studies um, the, the field of leadership studies so that we can better understand uh, how to do things effectively. And the fact is we're moving into a future of work that's fundamentally different than the reality in which a lot of these traditional leadership theories emerged in previous decades. And if we're going to be successful in the future, we have to be adaptive. And it, it means that perhaps what worked in the past won't necessarily work as well in the future. Any thoughts on that and how your book connects with this idea of like moving into the future of work. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, you raise good points and it's really not too dissimilar. If you think about it, how many times through, throughout history are there articles written about why are Americans having trouble losing weight? You know, mm -hmm. why? Um, and it's because the approaches, the recommendations traditionally have been helpful, but it's only half the puzzle. And that's something that we mm -hmm. often talk about is really what our book brings is how do you work with the full human brain, not just the top half of your brain? Um, and this is an approach that has been gaining a lot of traction, as I said, in the mental health world, um, because we see some profound differences and improvements in helping people deal with anxiety. Very similar to if you look at things like addictions, for example. If you don't dive in and learn some of these skills, it makes it much, much more difficult for you to make some gains in dealing with that. So... In essence, you know, and that's one of the things that we highlight is that all those different things, including the stuff, Jonathan, you've written about has been powerful and important. Um, but our argument is, is that's just half the argument. That's half the yeah. puzzle, as I said. So. Excellent. All right. Xander asks, thank you, Xander, for putting your question in the chat. What are some tips to being a more steadfast leader? And what are some ways to understand ourselves and those we are working with better? That's a great question. Uh, what, some of the points that we make in the book, we look at some of the cognitive biases, both in, for example, HR and hiring people and all the biases involved with hiring people. There's a lot of biases in that process. And even, even financial biases in the behavior of finance realm, because that's really more of my background. And we discuss some of that in the book and some of the research we published as well. And the connections with uh, polyvagal theory and some of those elements as well and how it influences um, those effects in various ways. So we understand there's biases, for example, we understand there's multiple different biases applied to different situations, but how do those biases come to fruition? What influences those biases? How do we deal with those biases, right? Are we self-aware that we're perpetrating those biases, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really important. So in the hiring process, imagine you're an HR manager and you're in the process of hiring someone and you have some deep-seated biases that are going to be truly interviewing the best people or hiring the best people through the interview process if you're full of bias. You know, those are important elements to deal with. Or you're making an important investment or financial decision and there's certain biases that you may have you're not even recognizing that may skew and bias your decision making into a non-optimal financial decision you know that has real consequences so whether you're hiring people or whether you're making financial decisions 
and any other number of other business decision making or factors in business, this all has real world consequences. And that's when we talk about being self-aware and understanding how we're influenced by certain uh, experiences and biases that come into play and being aware of those circumstances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you both mentioned, the the reptilian brain, you know, our, our the way we've developed um, evolution from an evolutionary uh, psycho- psychological perspective, you know, it is what it is. And we can't control what comes up for us, but we can control how we respond to what comes up to us for us uh, in any, in any given situation. We do have that level of control. Uh, And so, you know, better understanding our implicit uh, unconscious biases is a big part of this. Uh, We all have them. Uh, And sometimes, you know, I I don't want to demonize anyone for an unconscious bias. I, I do want to hold people to higher expectation that we're expected to behave well and treat others with dignity and respect, regardless of whatever the unconscious bias might be that we have. Uh, And so just recognizing that being more aware of what comes up for us and how we respond to it and how that may trigger us in one way or another uh, is very, very important. Uh, Xander, again, thank you for that question. I think it was a great one. Um, Being more self-aware is always going to be more helpful in how we interact with others and how we lead others. Um, with that, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Uh, Randy and Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Randy and Jeffrey can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.